Good evening to each and every one of you. Uh, we are... usual professionalism there ladies and gentlemen a very good evening and a warm welcome back to the red and blue review we're here for our first show post the world cup break my name is nick philpot i'm your host this evening and we are going to be discussing this evening the fulham games and the uh Bournemouth games but first of all uh welcoming back some of our families to the show starting off with the ledge evening jim how are you mate i'm very well thank you You're a bit quick there weren't you <laughs> I know it's because Nigel pushed my button early. The donut, I'll kill it. I'll just ask, I'll kill him after the show. Uh, happy New Year to you, mate. Uh, Ian yeah. Noble, happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you, Nick, as well. And happy New Year to everyone. Um, it's good to be back, isn't it? You know, I've, I've missed this to be honest it's, with you. It's good to be back. Long, it's been a long, it seems like a really long one. Uh, and welcoming back again to our old Kiwi resident, uh, Tim Richards. How are you doing, mate? Good, thanks, Nick. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. And for, on behalf of the rest of the Red and Blue Review team, a happy New Year to each and every one of you, wherever you are watching all over the world. It's great to be back. And we have got a um, packed, packed few months ahead of us. We've got, we're going to be doing shows, not just on the Sunday night, but we're also going to be covering the midweek games. And obviously, depending on how we get on, on the FA Cup against Southampton, the standard FA Cup's draw against Southampton away. Uh, we'll see how we go with midweek shows as well. We've got lots to get through. I think, I think Nigel, what we're doing to start with, I mean, the most important thing, on behalf of the Red and Blue Review family, uh, I think it's right that we t touch base and pay our respects to the long-serving uh, John Jackson, who sadly we lost over Christmas. Uh, he, he died on the 29th of December, as you can see there. Uh, what a goalkeeper he was. Arguably, I mean, there's lots of people who say he was our best goalkeeper, but certainly up there in our top three or four goalkeepers of all time. What's your views out in Red and Blue Review? Put your messages in the in the chat. I can see them. Uh, was he the best goalkeeper? Jim, I was doing a little bit of research this afternoon on uh, John, and what I didn't realise was that uh, his last year as a player was 1973, your first year as a player. Uh, was 1973. So you, uh, how many games did you actually play with him? Um, oh, probably only about three or four. That was because it was right at the end of the season. But then Malcolm Allison decided that, I think Malcolm just liked younger people and decided to put Paul Hammond in goal. But I don't know if that was, when I made my debut, it was about 10 games left or something. Um, so I, I certainly played three games on the trot. And he was a goalkeeper. Yeah, really good lad and a good goalkeeper. And like I, I signed in 1970. So they just basically, it was, I think it was the first year in the old first division. And yeah. basically, yeah. he kept him in it. Mm. So he was, he was a good goalkeeper. And did you, did you, I mean, since you've been doing what you're doing at the club now, did you, did you see much of him around the stadium? Was he, was it in many games? Oh, no, not really. Only now and again when sort of they would invite sort of some of the old lads back, which at Palace is like few and far between. So, mm. uh, but yeah, he he was there. Was it was it there last season? I think he might have been there last season, or maybe the last time I saw him is when he was giving 
presenting Julian Speroni with something, I'm not sure. And in your opinion, as an ex-pro, where does he sit alongside Nigel Martin and Julian Speroni? Oh, they're all up there the same. I wouldn't say Julian was any better than John Jackson, and I wouldn't say John was any better than Julian. Uh, I think they're all excellent goalkeepers, and you'd be happy to have any one of them in their prime playing for you. Absolutely right. Ladies and gentlemen, out in Facebook, it would be great to know your opinion. Julian, John, or... Um, Nigel. Nigel Martin, of course, uh, in my mind and in my uh, supporting era, I have to say uh, for what he went on to achieve, Nigel Martin would probably be up there for me. But again, it's all it's all conjecture. It's all it's all about opinions. Uh, very sad to have lost him. Uh, he was a, a true, like yourself, Jim, a proper legend of the club. Uh, may he rest in peace. Um, yeah, go on. Yeah, I I'll just add something in there. I suppose what you can say about John Jackson is that um, it's when I first started sporting the club in the early 70s. So I remember him as a kid um, very fondly. And one thing you can say about him is that he's probably the best goalkeeper to play in the Football League that's English, never to be capped by England. Because he, he was in an era, wasn't he, when you had Peter Shilton and Ray Clements and they shared it between them. And um, just before him, Gordon Banks, of course. So, you know, he, he was in an era of so many really good goalkeepers which is why he was never selected for England. And a lot of people think he should have been, of course. And I think he played for a Football League eleven. I think he was selected. And I think it was against Scotland, funny enough. I can't remember properly, but Jim, you might know better than me. But, you know, he was unlucky not to be capped by England. I think it was. it's worth saying that this evening. Yeah, good knowledge as well, because I read that this afternoon, and you are quite right. It was against the Jocks, and uh, it was some sort of FA eleven. You're quite right, but no, no full England cap. Um, the other thing I would like to touch on, while we were away, ladies and gentlemen, during the World Cup, we had a bit of fun in the background. And uh, we had Ian Lyons's, one of Ian Lyons's prediction leagues, running for the World Cup. Now, I've got to tell you that we, had, we normally have a bit of fun when we do any of these prediction league things. OK, it's, it's normally a good laugh. But the, the really strange thing about this one in particular, for the first week or so, Yours truly was actually leading the league. I was actually sitting at the top. I don't know how that happened. I was only after the first couple of games. Needless to say, I was in my usual place by the end of the league. Uh, and I was down in the bottom half. But uh, a massive thank you to Ian Lyons for all his hard work that he put in for that. Because it just So that's the overall leaderboard. Okay. I don't know if that's the, no, that's the bottom. Okay, show us the middle. Show us the middle. That's the middle, and you can see that I'm in there. I'm glad to say above Ian Noble. Yeah, only, only just. Look, yeah. one point above me. Only just. Okay. Facts don't lie, mate. Okay. Facts <laughs> don't lie. And then you can see at the top is uh, two, uh, two of the ladies and Darren uh, Deppelidge in third place, Claire O'Leary, and the winner of the overall uh, funds, and it was a little bit of cash funds involved. It was Pam Edwards. Pam, massive congratulations to you. Equally, Ian Lyons. Massive congratulations from all of us and thank you. Because in case you don't know, ladies and gentlemen, uh, there, there was a £20 entrance fee into that. And part of that goes towards funding your podcast that you get free of charge every Sunday. So on behalf of myself and the rest of the team, thank you, mate. You've done it. You played a blinder and get your ass back on the show very soon. I noticed there was no uh, Jim Cannon on that list. <laughs> Did you not watch the World Cup because Scotland weren't in it? I think we did that one before. I think we did that before the World Cup because 
he drops so out. Jim, Jim's coming in now. Yeah, he, he drops out. You didn't fancy you didn't fancy joining us on that one, Jim. Well, perhaps we'll do one in the future. Uh, right, okay. Where should we start? Um, I think that was all I had to cover in the early bits. Uh, a massive thank you to Tom Clark Samuel. Uh, he would like you to jump onto uh, Instagram, <coughs> like all his his stuff. He's got a pre Tottenham uh, uh, competition or a quiz of it, I believe he's going on on there. Jump on there, give it a like, give, show him some love because he does a lot of work for us in the background. And again, we're very grateful. Um, Ian, so Boxing Day. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping we weren't able to talk too much about Boxing no, Day. We, we can't do the win without the loss, okay? Yeah, I know. And Go on. I was going to say, and it was just the most appalling start after the World Cup. Yeah. Mind, we came in on the back of that, following that disappointing result up in Forest. So we ended up with back-to-back defeats, okay? Guaysi and Gold, Klein, Tompkins. Uh, I know we're going to be talking about James Tompkins later during the show. Uh, Anderson, back from the World Cup. Mitchell, Elise, Decore, Schlupp, Ayu, Zaha and Eze. Uh, Ian, over to you. Yeah, okay. Um, I've had people come up to me um, at Bournemouth uh, before kickoff saying, oh, did we not do a show about the Fulham game because it was so bad? And I said, no, we, we never intended to do a bespoke show just for the Fulham game. We were always going to save it to the 2nd of January. Um, yeah, after the break, you know, we're all looking forward to getting back to Selhurst for the, the Boxing Day game. And of course, I think, you know, what I saw of it, I didn't go to any of the games. Jim, you were at the, the Botafogo game, you said, pre-show. Um, you know, we looked all right, I think, in the in the trip to Turkey. And we won the, the, the Botafogo game, didn't we? I think we, no, that was the, sorry, yeah, we, yeah. we drew it. And then we were also had the, another game, didn't we? Real, who do we play? The, the final friendly, Real Valioid or something? Yeah, Valioid. yeah. yeah. So, you know, in the build-up to it, I think we did everything we could have done and, and it looked looked okay. It felt okay. So we've got six weeks from that disappointing defeat to Nottingham Forest to playing Fulham at home. And I think Patrick probably got the selection wrong, if I can say as much and be as bold to say, with James Tompkins because he didn't look comfortable from minute one. You know, he didn't look comfortable playing out from the back, Um you know, what he was doing up on the, the left wing, um, fouling Mitrovic when he didn't have to foul him for that first booking, goodness knows. You know, it was his first start since Boxing Day 2021. And, um, you know, Mitrovic played him all day, didn't he? Diving and the rest of it. We'll come to the, the, the sending off a little bit later on. But I think the selection there of Tompkins really did cost us. And Fulham started better than us. They were on the front foot. You know, we struggled basically to get going. And when you play a team that are up for it, you know, you've got to be up for it as well, haven't you? And we simply weren't. And um, we got torn apart. Having said that, you know, there was the chance before, well, it was still nil-nil, when Elise put it through to Ayu and he hit the bar. You know, that, that's not a bad, it wasn't a bad effort. Jordan Ayu's 150th game for Palace, interestingly. Um, and it was um, Joachim Anderson who gave the ball away for the first goal. It was a really poor pass, uh, certainly by his standards. And it gave Fulham possession. Mitrovic is wide. He puts the ball into an area where he would like to receive it. And the guy comes running through in between two defenders. No one picks him up 1-0. And, and keeper's got no chance. And and from then, we've got our heads down a bit. You know, we're, we're, we're going to get back in the game. And then the, the, the real turning point for me, well, there's two turning points, really, both sendings off. But Mitchell's sending off. 
you know, I think it's really harsh looking back on it. Um, you know, he lost possession. Um, sorry, he, he lost lost control of the ball. He, he's taking it on his chest. It wasn't the best touch. It goes away from him. He, he, he dives in. He was a little bit late. But this guy, Bobby Madley, he couldn't wait to show his red card, could he? I don't know. Let, let's talk about that first of all with others as well. What, what do we think is the sending off the, the Mitchell sending off? You know, because bottom, it's, in my opinion, top and bottom of that is I want to know the boys' opinion in a second, but it was studs up. Okay, whether it's late or early, it was, he was late, but it was still studs up. Sim, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I it all happened so quick, you know, watching the game on the TV, but when they showed it again, I don't think we can have have any complaints um i think if that had been against one of us we'd be saying uh, red card all day long and maybe as i think some of the comments have been saying whether it highlights the drop in form for mitchell whether mitchell in previous years wouldn't have miscontrolled it and wouldn't have been in that position uh but yeah for me that was a red card i had no complaints with that at all jim um <clears throat> I would have, I would have probably, if you look at twenty games in the Premier League, you'll see that sort of tackle, and the guy don't get sent off. Mm. I always thought that the dangerous tackle was when your studs are facing that way, and both feet are off the floor, so you've got mm. no control. He was in control. He just he miscontrolled the ball. And at the end of the day, he basically stood on the guy's ankle foot. Yeah. And unfortunately, in this day and age, these cheats roll about as if they've been hit by a sniper from 10 foot. But a couple of seconds later, when he sees he's off, he's up. So uh, some referees wouldn't have sent him off. He was a bit unlucky there, I thought. A bit unlucky. Sorry, Jim made an interesting point that you see it 10 times in the Premier League and he and doesn't get shown it. Funnily enough, in the Brentford game today, there was exactly that. Uh, there was an, uh, an opportunity, and again, the studs were showing. Uh, and he, I don't even know, I don't even think the games got booked in the end. Uh, he, he might have got booked. Uh, before Ian, before you move on, ladies and gentlemen, out of Facebook land, I have a confession to make. I was at the Fulham game, I was standing in the lower Homesdale, and before Ian comes on to it, okay, uh, the James Tompkins sending off, okay, I saw the Mitchell sending off. I thought it, from the stand, I thought it was a straight red, and indeed it was. Okay. Um, then the James Tompkins sending off a little while later. I have a confession to make. I didn't even realize he'd been sent off. <laughs> I knew he'd been booked a bit earlier on. Okay. But I didn't realize he'd, uh, he'd been shown a, a second yellow, therefore the, the red. So uh, I know uh, Richard Harvey's in the chat already taking the piss out of me because I missed it completely. And I missed it for 10 minutes. Carry Nick, on, mate. Chris Kamara would be proud of you. Chris Kamara, <laughs> MBE, would be proud of you with that with that comment. Um, but look, you know, I, I, Jim, I'm with you, I think, on the sending off of Mitchell. You know, it was harsh. You know, referees um, do sometimes not send players off for that. He wasn't out of control. I think it was a bit unlucky to go, but he, he went and that was it. So we're down to 10 men. Um, you know... That was sort of the end of the first half, really. There wasn't a lot of else to happen. Now, you know, let's move straight to the second sending off because, again, the, the start of the second half, there wasn't an awful lot of action, um, really. And it was on the 57th minute when um, Eze plays the ball back to um, Guita in a back pass. Um, Pumpkin sort of stands there and just blocked... Uh, he blocked Mitchell, Mitrovic's run with his arm 
but he, he didn't intentionally, he didn't move it towards him. He just held it up. And Mitrovic seemed to run into it. Now, again, referee runs towards him to book him. I'm not sure the referee has realised he's already booked him at this stage because normally they get the yellow card out and the red card out together, don't they? But he gets his yellow card out to book him and then all the Fulham players are surrounding the referee and then he realises, I think, oh, yeah, I've got to send him off as well now because it's a second yellow. Again, really harsh because I think a better referee would have said to him, look, you know, could have maybe booked you for that. You're already on a yellow. You're already down to 10 men. You're on thin ice here. You know, last warning. You know, maybe, um, you know, just just, just don't, you know, just be careful because, you're, you know, otherwise you're going to go. Um, but he didn't. He played to the letter of the law. You know, he saw it as a yellow card when really other times I think it's not a yellow card. So I think on both sendings off, we, we've got unlucky, to be honest. Interesting. Now, your boy, you, you two, was that a yellow, second yellow? Uh, start with you, Jim. Um, <clears throat> well, I would think so, yeah. But, but it wasn't a sending off. I mean, the referee, I mean, referee, I thought referees were supposed to let things go a little bit more than they have done. I mean, this Howard Webb that's coming in saying he's going to do this and he's going to do that. Watch the Liverpool game tonight. I mean, Brentford player got booked after about 30 seconds for the first tackle in the game, and it was a nothing tackle. And you think, well, hang on a minute, you're just spoiling that guy's game right away. Give him a warning. I think if the referee, if he has made a mistake and he realized, he didn't realise that he'd booked him, then that's bad refereeing to start with. But he should have sort of just had a little word with him. I mean, Mitrovic does what he does. He made, and what all players do, they make a big issue of it. And he was unfortunate his arm was a little bit higher than maybe it should have been he could have just blocked them like that but he stuck his arm up there and obviously whether it's smashed into Mitrovic you couldn't really see but uh, again, it was unfortunate that I suppose once the referees booked him for a ridiculous booking in the first half uh, early on then uh, he's going to send them off yeah, I mean, the, the, the one in the first half, Jim, was unnecessary, wasn't it? You know, he was he was on the left wing, Tompkins, at the time. He was going nowhere. There were loads of people between. If he's the final man, you know, or towards the halfway line, you sort of understand it. Took one for the team. But he didn't have to do that in the first half, did he? And do you, do you not think that's a lack of minutes, lack of ex, well, not lack of experience, because he's an experienced player, but lack of minutes, you know, he doesn't want to get beaten. You know, it was silly, I think, by Tompkins. Um, yeah, yeah, he got himself into a position there because that was a long ball that come across and looked as if it was running out for a throw-in. And he yeah. was jogging. He was on the outside, the 18-yard box. So he's jogging out, not realising that Mitrovic was sprinting to try and keep that ball in. And, yeah. of course, then he's got in a bit of a tangle with him. Why are you pulling guys shirt when you buy the corner flag of the opposition? There's no need for it, but... Indeed, possibly indeed. he was out of touch with the game. Um, so it was, it was unfortunate again. Indeed. Ian, before we continue, can we spend a couple of moments talking about Tompkins? Uh, Tim, I'm coming to you first. Have we seen Tompkins' better days? Is Tompkins likely to be moved on uh, in the summer transfer window, not the January transfer window? I think what it shows is. You can be as fit as you like. You can have all the experience in the world, but there's no comparison to match fitness or, or, or playing in games. Um, you can play all the friendlies you want. It's still it's not the same intensity as a Premier League match. And Tomkins, hell of a player. I think he's definitely, say, past his sell-by date, but I think he's 
best years have definitely gone. Um, and I think, yeah, basically the Fulham game showed he's out of his depth now, um, especially, but he shouldn't have been. I mean, I mean, we could talk about Tonkins and like what he cost us on the day, but if you look at the rest of the performance, he was no worse than probably eight other players on the pitch. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love the bloke. I think he was a hell of a buy, but I think, yeah, his days, but it also shows our squad isn't as deep as we would like it to be. That, you know, and it comes back to Vieira. Is Richards not fit? Would Richards not be in a better start than Tonkins? But that's another question. We're coming on to that later on, and you raise a good point. Ian, carry on, mate. Sorry. Yeah, well, I, I, I think you're right, Tim. I think Richards would have been a better selection from the off. But that's with hindsight, isn't it? Um, and, of course, Richards does come on to the pitch then when he got sent off. Eze was the one that was sacrificed. And we go to this ridiculous, what was it, um, 4-3-1 formation or something. And, you know, when you've got nine players, you it really is uphill, isn't it? It's a massive uphill battle. We're not playing well anyway, and we've got nine players, we're losing 1-0. You know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to think, actually, the game's probably gone. I was disappointed with the number of people that left at 1-0, to be honest with you. But when they scored the second goal on 2-0, blindly, there was an absolute mass exodus. I've never seen anything quite like it. And, and as they as people were leaving the ground at 2-0 on 71 minutes, um, of course, the VAR kicks in saying, um, you know, questioning whether this is handball or not. Now, I've since spoken to one or two people, and apparently the rule is that if it comes off the hand accidentally of the person that assists or someone prior to the goal scorer, then it's not an offence. But if it comes off the hand of the goal scorer, then it is an offence, which I think is plainly ridiculous. But apparently that's the rule, which is why it wasn't wasn't um, overruled in our favour. What I don't really get is that if the VAR official thinks there's a case for it to be handball, so he thinks there's a handball, he sends the referee over to look at it. Clearly, there was a handball because we've all seen it, and the referee still doesn't change his mind. So, why did he get sent over to look at the monitor? Why didn't the VAR officials just say, "Sorry, the goal's given"? I don't understand that at all. Maybe someone can enlighten me because I thought that was a crazy decision. It gave us a little bit of hope because we always think that when the referee looks at the monitor, he's going to change his mind, but he didn't, of course. So, uh, there we are. So, I don't know if anyone is any wiser with me on that one. And it was interesting that the player that scored their goal was, what was it, Reem, his name is. Do you know how old he was? Or no. is? He's 35 years of age. His first ever Premier League goal. And he played all four games for the USA in the World Cup, apparently. But he's the kind of player that Fulham, their policy is play anyone. We wouldn't play anyone that's 35 in our team on, on outfield, would we? We've changed our policy on this completely. But anyway, I thought it was quite interesting. He's 35 years of age. Then, of course, um, Mitrovic does get his goal in the end on 80 minutes, 3-0. The game over. Game was over at 1-0 anyway. And and Patrick in his post-match was saying, look, you know, we just didn't compete. You know, we weren't competing enough. Um, we didn't want it enough. It was against the DNA of Crystal Palace Football Club. And... Um, you know, I'm thankful we didn't have to do a show immediately after that. Time is a bit of a healer. And it's, you know, we've, we've since had another game, which we'll come on to in a minute. And we saw a fantastic reaction for Bournemouth. So, you know, on the back of a really poor, poor game, well done, Patrick Vieira, for getting the guys together and giving them the, the belief that they can go into the next game and do well, which we did, of course. And there are the stats from the, the Boxing Day game. Fulham boss possession. Look at those shot stats. That's embarrassing, isn't it? 
Um, and it was the second game running where we, 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 where we had not had a shot on target. Two games in succession without a shot on target. The previous one being Nottingham Forest, of course. And um, in the build-up to Bournemouth, they were saying that no team has had three games in a row with no shots on target since records began. So, uh, thankfully, that one's not ours. Ian, um, before we move off the uh, Fulham game, and Tim, I'll come to you next in a second. Uh, Jim, for your benefit, I don't know if you can see the chat. Pre-show, you mentioned Kofi Barmer, and two or three people said in there, were saying in there, why did we not uh, try Kofi uh, as a, a gay replacement instead of James Tonkins. What have you seen in this Kofi Barmer then? Uh, well, just, I've only seen him the once and everything that he did looked good. I know it was a friendly, but he looked fit. He was quick. His passing was excellent. I mean, the, the game against Fulham, it was like we'd gone out for a pre-season friendly and they were playing in a World Cup final. Yes. The, the difference was just ridiculous. Like their movement, their passing, their work rate. And every time we got the ball, we gave it away. I mean, feel sorry for James Tompkins. I would, as a manager, I'd have taken him off after 35 minutes because yeah. the fans, every time he touched the ball, they were booing him, booing him purely because every time he got the ball, he gave it away. And you could see a couple of times he didn't want it. And I think in a situation like that, to be fair to the player, Take him out. You've got a United States international player there who I've only seen a couple of times, but looks really good. And I think that might have settled things down. But And then, of course, the sending off and like the game's running away from you. But I, th I felt sorry for Tompkins. He's, uh, he's, he is a good player, but why did West Ham let him go to us? Because he's always injured. And a player that's always injured never gets back to full fitness, especially a player like him. I mean, some centre-halves get the odd injury and then they'll go and play another 60, 70 games. He plays half a dozen games and he's pulled a muscle or he's strained something. And the guy's obviously not match fit. And I, I, that showed the other day. And I think Tim's right. Like The Premier League, the, the quickness, it's not, not so much the fitness, it's the mental side of playing at that level and intensity is obviously going to hamper him. He hasn't got that. He's been out far too long to have that. And I dare say he's got to be looking at other. Why would you buy Richards and, and not play him and play Tompkins? I don't know why he did, he did that on uh, Monday on Boxing Day. But personally, I would, I would have, as a manager, I would have taken him off, taken him out of the, 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 the boon and every time he, he got the ball, the fans were on it. And I've never heard of fans for a long, long time an individual player like that. I mean, Melo a few times has been getting a bit of stick, but he seems to get round it and starts playing and gets a bit of game time. Uh, I, I just felt, I felt a bit, so I, don't, I hate to see it because I've played in them situations with, alongside players that every time, even going onto the park, they were booing his name and you think, what sort of pressure are you putting these guys under? So the more the game went on, the more I would have thought of changing them and putting another centre-half on. He had Richard there. Bring him on. I mean, he, yeah. he's not going to do yeah. any worse. So, uh, it, it's it's funny you should say that, Jim, because I said at half time, you know, Tompkins on a yellow card, pull him off, and I was very surprised to see him return for the second half. But anyway, someone said in the chat there, I can't remember. We should move on from the Fulham game, Nick. What do you think? Yeah. We're about to do so. Final word on on Fulham, Tim. Yeah, I've well, I've actually got a question for Jim because. 
you know, we see the starting lineups come up and we all comment. And I feel a bit unfair sometimes because we don't work with the players. We're not in training. We're not seeing what the managers see. But the thing that concerns me is the number of games we've had this season where Vieira's obviously worked with the team during the week. You know, he's done this, he's done that, prepared the team. The team comes on the pitch and it takes them half a game to get going. They're so slow, lots of mistakes, just, just not at it at all. And it's what I'm Jim, how much of that is the manager not preparing the team well enough or to a high enough level? And how much of it is it should be blaming the players themselves for going on the pitch and not starting the way we, they should be starting? Well, I, I don't actually think you can blame the manager. He can only prepare the players and play against the players that are in the, on the training ground. So they can be looking really good, but then they come against Fulham and the players are playing against are 10 times better. So he can only prepare them ready for what's in front of them but then, obviously, knowing how Fulham play and, and the, 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 the way they go about things, and it's the players. He, like, the manager, once they cross that line, he's worked with them for weeks and weeks. I mean, we've had eight weeks since our last game against Nottingham Forest, and I think the, the fans expected that this was going to be get at them, players are champing at the bit to... And they go out. But I think it's just purely because of the way they start. As soon as you start giving the ball away a little bit and players are sort of moving and, and I, I fail sometimes to to see what sort of system Patrick's playing as well because I'm, I'm never sure where Elise where is playing, where Ezzy's playing. I mean, you mentioned Tyrant Mitchell earlier on. Tyrant Mitchell looks an unbelievably good left back when he's got Wilf on the left-hand side because they work really well together. Wilf is up front, and Wilf's a total waste, in my book, a total waste of time up front. I mean, the, 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 the lad at the back must have been the easiest game of the season against them there. Wilf is better, play him right wing, left wing. Put Elise on the right wing and tell him to stay there. But then I'm thinking, so what's you playing? So I'm not quite sure. I, I couldn't fathom out. I was just watching it. I'm thinking, well, looks as if Elise and Eze have got their own role, do what they want. But when we've, we're under the cost, you need a little bit more fight and a little bit more sort of like organisation in the middle of the park. Another player I felt sorry for was the Curry. I mean, he just spent the whole sort of first half on his own 18-yard box, players running all over the place. So... I'm not quite sure sometimes, Patrick, what how he lines up, but I'd rather see a proper centre-forward, whether it be Mateta or Edouard up front, and put the other two lads, Elise on the right and Eze on the left, or Ayu, whatever way you want to do it. Because it was, it was uh, doom and gloom on all social media following that defeat. Uh, let's do some positives now. So we went, uh, after the uh, not in the Forest game, we were in 11th place. We finished this weekend in 11th place, thanks to three excellent points down at the Vitality Stadium in Bournemouth. Jordan Ayew and Ebre Eze gave Crystal Palace a convincing 2-0 win at Bournemouth on New Year's Eve. With Bournemouth owner Bill Foley and minority show, show, shareholder Michael Jordan watching on, the host produced a lacklustre performance, but Palace thoroughly deserves the three points in a difficult conditions on the South Coast. Ayew headed Palace in front on the 19th minute and he guided uh, Michael Elise's corner uh, set piece. Gentlemen, we need to talk about the set pieces. 
visitors firmly to the control. Brilliantly works set piece from Elise, finally converted from Eze the edge of, edge of the box on 36 minutes. Mr. Noble, over to you. Yeah, thanks for that introduction. Um, yeah, of course, um, two enforced changes for this one. Um, Mark Gay, he's back following his one match ban for Tompkins, and then uh, Ward comes in at left back where he's played before, of course, um, and captain the side in, in place of Mitchell. Um, we're up against the worst defence in the league. Let's be clear about that. I don't want to take the shine off our win, but you know we're playing a team that, that aren't particularly great. Um, they just lost to Chelsea a few days before. Um, we hadn't had this shot on target for two games, as I said earlier. But you know we we got the uh, we got the first got our noses in front. We we I, I said on Twitter the two games were like chalk and cheese. You know. We started so badly against Fulham, but we started so well against Bournemouth. We took the game to them. Um, so, you know, Jordan Ives' header on 19 minutes, as you've already alluded to, uh, you know, it was, it was a free header, really. He, he did well to get on the end of it, of course, but who'd have thought it? You know, with Elise's corner, and you can see there, no one's near him. Um, back in your day, Jim, and I remember, you know, the level I played at, we put someone on the post for corners. Um, had someone been on the post, they would have stopped it. Um, but thankfully they weren't, and um, we're 1-0 up. Um, Elise um, was tricky down the right-hand side. He had a really good game. He had a good game with the ball offensively, but he also had a good game without the ball, and, and he was he was working hard on his defensive uh, aspect. There's a very good article on The Athletic about that. If you subscribe to that, it's worth a read about his, his, um, his work rate, defending and helping out. Um, Nathaniel Klein at right back and you saw him a few times really get back and get his tackles in and his stats were really good for that he won the ball back a number of times and uh, he, he got forward and he got fouled on the edge of the box um, when it was 1-0 and he took his free kick and he looked up and everyone expected it to go into the box but he laid it back to the edge of the box for Eze to have a shot at the time and it was blocked but of course, it was a sighter, wasn't it? It was the it was a it was a it was the routine they practiced. So he tried it once from the free kick, and it didn't come off. Uh, and then, of course, uh, a few minutes later, he, he gets the corner on the right hand side. And when you're expecting the ball to come into the box, he plays it out to the edge of the box for Eze. And this time, his connection is better, and um, he doesn't hit a Bournemouth player on the way through. And it's a great goal. And we're all just aghast in the away, and we cannot believe what we're watching. We're tuning up. And uh, as the old song went, uh, the old favourites are the best. How shit must you be? We're winning away. Um, really did, go, uh, uh, you know, he got a, a, good, a good cheer for that one for sure. So, you know, we go in, sorry, we go in at 2 0 up and um, and basically everything went right for us. And interestingly, Patrick said it was uh, down to Dean Kiley, um, that routine. That routine. Um, I'm not sure we want to be telling everyone. All our, all our secrets for the goals, but there we are. We were, we're two now up at half time. Other people's thoughts? Yeah, I just want to come to a couple of points in the chat, if I may. Uh, somebody has asked in the chat, how long is uh, Mitchell's uh, banned for? It's a straight red card, three. Three, three games, and that's standard. Uh, Colin was saying a minute ago, Jim, your views on uh, the setup between IU, Zaha, and so on and so forth. That's exactly what he played uh, in the Bournemouth game. Look how successful it was. And so uh, he was agreeing with everything you said. Tim, did you want to say some some hellos? 
Yep, yeah, have a look, uh, Mr. Adrooms, uh, an awful lot of uh, Facebook user, interesting. Uh, Colin Waterman, Tim Funbar, Paul Holden, um, Andy Har Harper, Chris, sorry, Colin Waterman, Rob Cranfield, hi Rob, uh, Lee Huntley, Paul from Plymouth, how's it going, mate? Um, yeah, the usual, the usual gang, George. Um, Andrew, yeah, I said Andrew, yeah, so the usual bunch, really. You're mute, you're Nick. Nick. Um, oh, sorry. sorry. Uh, good evening to each and every one of you, wherever you're watching in the world. Uh, what else do you want to do on the uh, Bournemouth game, mate? Yeah, just a few good? comments about the second half then. Um, I thought Solanke looked their best player. I don't know what you thought. Uh, if, if they do get relegated, he's somebody I wouldn't mind going in for. He looked really dangerous going forward. Um, there was one shot early in the second half that Goita saved really well. Um and um, tipped it over the bar. Um, towards the end of the game, there was a lovely move for Wilf, um, fed Edward into the, the six-yard area. His shot was well saved, and then Wilf had to go at the rebound. Again, that was um, that was blocked and went over the bar. So, you know, we, we did have chances to score more goals, um, and, you know, we just didn't take them. But the conditions were really, really poor as well. I think we touched on that at the beginning. It rained and rained the whole game. There was a little spell, I think around the half time when it stopped raining, um, but then it rained again and it, and it was coming into the stands and we were all soaking wet. But the, the, the conditions for the players was really, really difficult. I'm thinking at one point, again, we're 2 0 up, we're 15 minutes to go. This isn't going to be called off, is it? You know, for some kind of bizarre reason, you know. But uh, and, and as bad as we thought Bobby Madley was for the Fulham game, I thought Andre Mariner had a really good game um, for the Bournemouth match. But you often say that when it goes your way. I thought he refereed the game really fairly. And um, and did well. So, you know, it's a great away win. It's always good to win away from home in the Premier League. But put it in context, this isn't a great Bournemouth team. And I think they'll struggle. And I think they'll go down. I think they'll be one of the three that get relegated from what I've seen of them compared to the other sides uh, that came up and the other sides that are down the bottom at the moment. Yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree with you. Uh, I want to get on to some questions in a minute. Tim, you wanted to say something about the uh, Bournemouth yeah, team? Yeah, I mean, it was... I was quite interested in the Bournemouth game after the Fulham game to see what kind of response. And yeah, we, you always want to be like 5-6-0, that's great. But the thing that most pleased me was what a professional performance it was. It went 2-0 up, two good goals, two well-taken goals, um, intelligent, especially the second one, intelligent goals. Um, but we kept our heads. We didn't really look like conceding, to be honest, that much. And I was just really pleased to see the kind of performance Vieira got for him to, to be the professional Premier League, you turn it up away from home, nothing stupid. Because if, we, if we'd if done something daft and they got a goal back, who knows what would have happened, especially in those conditions. So, so no, I just thought it was a really good professional performance. OK, so good good three points. Jim, anything you want to add on the Bournemouth game? No, just uh, when you've had a bad home game like that and you go away, People are always thinking the worst, but we obviously turned it round. Patrick's got on to them, and uh, I only saw the highlights, but it looked a very good performance. So it was uh, it was an excellent three points. Puts us on the 22 points marks with after 16 games, which I suppose is really good at this time of the year. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm delighted with that. Uh, I think that stats probably pre this afternoon's game because Brentford are no. Uh, are no longer yeah. in 10th. So uh, Brentford have got three points to go on top of that. But yeah, that's 
it's a comfortable, as Jim says, is we're in a comfortable position. Uh, what I like about that is we have got a game in hand over most of them, and our game in hand, I believe, is against Brighton, uh, which is yet to be confirmed. So, uh, Nigel, up and coming fixtures, please, because I think it, you know we need to put the Bournemouth result into a little bit of perspective. We have got a run of particularly tough games there. Uh, starting off on Wednesday evening, I believe it's an eight o'clock kickoff at home to Tottenham. Now Tottenham are, you saw yesterday, Tottenham have got a loss in them. And the other thing I would encourage anything for Wednesday evening, if we give away a penalty on uh, <laughs> Wednesday evening, I want the whole crowd to call for Harry Kane to take it and see which one of us in the home cell he hits with his penalty, OK? So let's let's give Harry Kane some absolute shit if, if they do get a penalty. Um, so, sorry, Nigel, put that slide back up again, please, because obviously we've got the FA Cup away at Southampton. It's at home. Nick, we're at home to Southampton. That's the second time you stayed away. Sorry, sorry, he's at home. Uh, Chelsea away, I've got my ticket. What's going on with the Crystal Palace box office? They've sent the tickets out for the Chelsea away like two weeks before the kickoff. What's all that about? Normally, it's the night before that you get them or, or you're queuing up at the bloody uh, the away end ticket booth where you pick up your ticket. I've got my ticket already. Uh, and then, then, of course, another tough fixture on the 21st against Newcastle at home. Um, so uh, be interested to know uh, how many points you think we're going to get in January uh, out of those three, boys. Jim uh, <laughs> first. Out of those three well, games. Well, having watched Tottenham twice in the last... 10 days and Chelsea then I think they're definitely the two easiest games out of the three of them uh, I think Tottenham are there for the taking lots of injuries yeah, got in school they look yeah. crap against Villa the other night um, we should be thinking oh we, we're going to lose this this is a game we can get three points if we go about it the right way uh, Chelsea obviously away will be a bit harder I think Um well, I think six points out of them. Okay, Ian, your points tally is. I'll go five. I'll say a, a win and two draws. And Tim, four. Yeah, which is what I would go with: one win and one draw out of that. Uh, I would think. And interesting to you know, I know I keep harping back to something pre World Cup, but I think this is still relevant. That Tottenham actually had nine players away at the, the uh, World Cup. And obviously, they have had no rest time at all. And Chelsea have actually had 12, uh, 12 players. And Newcastle only had five. So if we do get beaten and and, it's, and we get beaten by Newcastle and not the other two, maybe this little list that I've got in front of me is uh, is worth taking into consideration. And Paul saying, Paul Glantz, good evening, Lord Glantz. Uh, Chelsea are there for the taking. And by the way, while Paul's on the screen, Joe uh, Holyoke was supposed to be with us this evening. Uh, unfortunately, he's been very poorly. He's got quite a serious chest infection. So we're wishing you well. Ian, I'm about to cough. Take over for a second, would you? Yeah, OK. All right. So we've we've said that we're going to get some uh, points in January. Um, put your points prediction in the chat, guys, as well. So we've got some some people saying uh, what they think. One point, Paul McNamara says. Sorry, guys. Um, Paul Holder reckons will beat Newcastle. Um, Chelsea have about 300 players anyway, says Tim Fubar. Um, I did watch a bit of the uh, Forest Chelsea game. And I thought Chelsea were poor. Um, I thought Conor Gallagher had a particularly poor game when he came off the bench, kept giving the ball away. 
Um, so, you know, and there's lots of rumour of chat on social media today, Chelsea sites saying um, Chelsea want to sell or loan out Conor Gallagher in the January window. Would you have Conor Gallagher back at Sellers Park? And if so, would it be a loan or a buy? How much would you pay for him? If, that was, uh, you know, the the opportunity. That, was the most, that was the best segue you've ever done. So thank you very much. And as it is quite rightly yeah. alluded to, the transfer window has just opened. Now, Steve Parrish uh, was interviewed last week and he was setting expectation. This is a question, really, from Andrew Adams in our questions crew. And he said, was Steve Parrish setting expectations when mentioning that we were only going to be looking for loans and if the right deal came up, then we were going for it? In my opinion, and I've always said this, ever since we've been back in the Premier League, we should be in a position where you would have a first-team player in any position and a decent backup in any in the same position, right the way across the pitch. It doesn't matter. Jack Butler in, uh, as a backup for Vincent Guaita, perfect example. So we have it there. But all over the pitch, and obviously the Fulham game exposed our, our problems in there. Jim, I want to come to you first. You see this week in, week out, especially at home. What are we short of? What are we short of from turning a, a, a good mid-table team, which we are, into a good higher part of the division team? What are we missing? Good midfield player, centre-forward and the right back. Right. On that, on that, I'm going to go straight in because of what you just said. Um, and again, this is from Andrew Adams, and he's asking you the question... Who do you believe should de uh, should partner Decore in midfield? Because you just might raise a good point. We need a mid midfield player in the right. What out of the players we've got? Are the current players we've got, or do we need to bring in something like a Conor Gallagher? Uh, I'm not sure. Who have we got? We've got uh, Schlapp. No, not not really impressed with him. Never have been really. He's he's a decent player, but. He would be more a bit player if you, if you had somebody a little bit better than him. Um, who's playing there at the moment? Eze playing out there. you got... Miljojevic, but he's... I mean, he's done... The last few games he played, he's done really well. Because uh, I see that Dukuri a little bit further up the park because he's got good vision. He's got... And maybe Milo could play sort of just a little bit deeper than him. Um but we haven't really we we haven't got great numbers. Who's the who's the other lad? The lad from Watford that we got that never Will played. Hughes. Will Hughes. Who's that? Will Hughes. Yeah, Hughes. I mean, any time he's come on, he's looked a good. I mean, what we need is that type of player, uh, but he never plays. So maybe Patrick's thinking he wants a bit more flair there, i.e. a Conor Gallagher or something like that. But we, we are. I mean, that's our biggest problem, I think, in the middle of the park. We haven't got somebody to play along the Curry that's really good. Interesting. Tim? I think what it does show is how much we miss Jimmy Mack or that kind of player. Um, I would have loved to have seen him play this season with Decore. I think they'd be, they'd be a really good centre midfield pairing. Um, but I think for me... It's the same old thing. It's goal scoring. It's the same old thing. That's what's stopping us. Because we've got the fair players. We've got the players to score goals. But our 
strikers at the moment, well, not just at the moment, for the last, what, four or five years, we just don't have... You know, Mateta's done all right, Edouard's done all right, but Mateta's touch is awful. Um, for a big guy, he should be better in the air than he is. Um, and I think, I don't know if they've been injured, I'm not sure, but you're starting, are you up front and you've got those two sitting on the bench? Does that give any, are they, have they been injured? Or does that show that Vieira doesn't really rate either of them as a recognised start each week striker? Ian, um, the, answer to your, the answer to your question, Tim, about injuries is that, yes, Potessa has been injured, right. um, which is why he didn't feature, I don't think, on Boxing Day um, anywhere. But I was surprised to see Edouard not start up top, really. Yeah. Uh, if you did that, you would have had to sacrifice Jordan Ayew. Now, you know, whatever you say about this Fulham game, Jordan Ayew was our best player probably in that game. It wasn't hard, but he was. Um, and then, you know, he proved his selection right against Bournemouth when he got his goal, you know, whether Edward or Mateta would have scored that, you know, it was quite an easy chance really when you look back on it, but um, he's got to drop Jordan Ayew. And I don't think he wants to drop Jordan Ayew. He likes Jordan Ayew. Um, and yet Lise is now, you know, a shoo-in as well, it seems. So Mateta and Edward are struggling to break the, break into the side as a, as a selection, you know, as a starter. So, you know, you could have someone that's going to be better than Jordan Ayew to start up top, which shouldn't be too difficult. Um, and Edouard must be thinking, what do I have to do, you know, to get picked in this side? Because, you know, he, he came to us, didn't he, um, with quite a fanfare from Celtic, and he was scoring goals for fun. He's got his Premier League. I know it's different and all the rest of it. And his debut was a revelation, wasn't it, when we beat Spurs 3-0 and he scored twice off the bench. But now, you know, he's just not getting a look in. And, I don't think Mateta is quite good enough, to be honest with you. I agree with you over his touch. I don't think he's quite good enough. Uh, good, good, good to come on off the, off the bench, but um, we need we need somebody like an Andy Johnson or a Glenn Murray in their prime that can score twenty five goals a season. That's what we need. But you know, it's like finding hen's teeth, isn't it? It's really difficult to find that player. My understanding is Christian Benteke wants to come back to the Premier League. Should we go for him, Ian? <laughs> really? <laughs> right. But I did. But, but an, in, an interesting stat I did hear during the game, I think it was Fulham game, is they were saying that in all the teams in the Premier League, Palace have had the fewest starters, different starters, out of any other team. So does that show that Vieira really doesn't have that much confidence in the squad depth, that he's not prepared to risk starting other players if certain players aren't playing well enough? And I think that's valid because you bring me on to another question. Tim, thank you for that. Uh, does the panel think that Patrick Vieira was backed in the last window? And thank you, Andrew Adams, for this question. Does the panel think uh, Vieira was backed in the last window? And is it all coming back to haunt us? Uh, we need more quality within the squad overall. Uh, Ian, you go first. Yeah, well, I don't think he was backed, you know. I mean, the, the main buy was De Cure, wasn't he? He was, what, 28 million De Cure, was he? I think it was about that. But I saw on, a, I, I took a photo of this um, slide of match of the day. They were talking about Tottenham spending um, in particular. But in the summer window, um, Chelsea spent 200 million, Man United 186, and then West Ham 141 million, Forest 137 million, Tottenham 118, Newcastle 116, and Arsenal 91. You know, we're getting nowhere near those numbers. So why aren't we spending a little bit more money? I think we do need to spend more money. 
But to get a decent player, you've got to be spending 40, 50 million. You're not going to get a decent player. Conor Gallagher, Chelsea will not let Conor Gallagher go for less than 40 million. That's, that's what I think. Um, I'm not sure he's really worth it. You know, he, he blows hot and cold a bit in the Chelsea side. And I know he'd be great for us. But, you know, is he worth 40 million? I'm not sure. And that is the, that's the tricky one. And this is where, you know, someone like Doogie Freeman really does need to earn their money as director of football to be able to identify, you know, good prospects that are going to fit into our side, going to be um, uh, people that can play in the Premier League, but not cost the absolute earth. Um, and yet some of these other stats I've just given you about you know, what people spent last summer is ridiculous. Um, and I'm glad we haven't spent 141 million. I really am. You know, it's, it's a nonsense amount of money. Um, Tim, do you wanted to make a point? Yeah, well, two things. Firstly, how much did Liverpool spend on Nunes and what's he done, whatever his name is? You know, 80-something <laughs> million and he's done nothing. So it's not so much the quantity and it's also not just buying for buying's sake. But the thing that concerns me is, first of all, to answer your question, Nick, he wasn't back at all, really, I don't think, in the last... Um, transfer window. He said what we needed and he didn't get it. But the thing that concerns me is with the stadium, you know, the work they want to do on the stadium, there's a, that's going to cost a lot of money. So is that another reason why Parrish was talking about low knees rather than buying players? Because if you want a new stadium, you can't have new players. We just don't have that money. That's not... Actually, I'm going to throw something in here. None of you are going to be party to this conversation. I had a con long conversation with Gel this week, okay, and he was he'd been talking to somebody very close to the subject that you just raised, Tim, uh, the stadium redevelopment, and the money for this stadium redevelopment had been ring fenced and is ring fenced and is nothing to do with this transfer budget. I'm going to throw you all another bit of a. Uh, curveball question. This is not from the questions crew. This is from me. With everything that we just discussed in mind about Vieira not being backed in the last transfer window, Parish also hinting that we are only probably going to be looking at loans with possibly one exception. Okay. Assuming that we are not going to back Vieira, and we, we all know that our, our squad is like a calendar at the moment, it's got full of holes. Assuming that we do not back Vieira in this transfer window, in the January transfer window, and the, to top it off with the fact that Wilkie is now free to talk to uh, foreign sides and could easily go in this window, what is the chances of Patrick Vieira not being our manager come the close of the January transfer window, Jim? Well, if we're bottom of the league, a good chance. It won't be that. It will be because um, the field is over well, why would Patrick want to go? He's sort of slowly building something. Uh, he's what's this? His second season here. Um, I mean, you keep saying about was he backed? I mean, how do we know exactly what he asked for behind closed doors and what, what the conversation? I mean, it's all conjecture, isn't it? You don't know what Patrick said to the chairman. You don't know what the chairman said to Pat. Patrick might not have asked for it. You, you hear lots of comments, but you don't actually hear anything come out of Patrick's mouth or anything out of the chairman's mouth as to he wanted that player and he didn't get this. That hasn't happened. So that I'll, I'll take with a pinch of salt. I don't think I'm spending much money in the January transfer window because loans, if he said loans, then that's what you want, a loan. I mean, we would take... Conor Gallagher back tomorrow 
on loan to the end of the season, you wouldn't think, well, we haven't bought them. Who cares? As long as they improve the team and we're winning. So I don't think many teams spend a lot of money uh, because the best players are not available. You're going to get a, a decent player that's like a corner, that's not playing on a regular basis at Chelsea or one of the other sort of maybe top six or seven clubs. Um, but you talk about spending... 140 million. I mean, West Ham and Forest both struggling at the bottom of the league. So it doesn't matter how much money you've got unless you buy the right person. Listen, a voice of reason, ladies and gentlemen, this is why back of the less than five-year plan hate us so much because we have a 600 appearance Palace legend talking sense on the show. And we've also got Ian Noble. Your thoughts? Ian? That's Nick. <laughs> <laughs> you want my thoughts on what, Nick? Sorry. Um, <laughs> Is there any chance Patrick could walk? No, that's a ridiculous statement. There's no way Patrick is leaving this club in the January window. Um, and Jim's right. We don't know what he's asked for. I think I think from what I, I heard in terms of the interviews that Patrick did give, he was probably a little bit disappointed that one or two didn't come in that he was after. Um, you know, one of those might have been Aaron Wan-Bissaka because we were linked with him in the summer as well. Um, now he's starting to play more for Manchester United now, so maybe um, that one is 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 off the cards. But um, I, I think this Friedman hasn't let us down in this department, has he? You know, let's be clear about that. He, he's uh, he's done a good job in finding the right kind of players. You know, finding players like Decoure um, and and Mark Gahey. You know, those kind of players that have come in on reasonable amounts. You know, under thirty million. Um, you know someone that's going to be selected for our first team, someone that's going to play to the standard we want, someone that's under 25 years of age, got all this fitting into the, the Palace uh, philosophy at the moment about the way we want our side to look and the way we want our side to play. So I think we're going to look to Doogie. We've got to look at Trust Parish. Parish never really let us down as he's a great chairman. He's a fan, he loves the club as much as any of us. So um, I think we've got to keep our fingers crossed. We get one or two more in in January, whether it's loans or whether it's permanent, and um, and then do most of our business in the summer, probably. Okay, Tim, I want you to have the final say. Is is Phil Pot talking crap that there is absolutely no chance of uh, the manager walking? <laughs> I'd love to say you're talking crap, Nick. I really would. Um, <laughs> I'd like to think no, because where would he go? He's been with us in the Premier League. Would he go abroad? I mean, if the Arsenal job came up, might that be too tempting? Well, that's not going to happen, is it? <laughs> well, no, you wouldn't think so. But Jim knows. how. Look how quickly things change in football. I mean, it could be no, but it could be, you don't know, in two weeks, something happened and he goes. I wouldn't like to say, to be fair. Okay, and before we wrap up, I do want to talk about um, one last point, if you don't mind. Uh, I understand there's some unnecessary scenes once again in the Homesdale End Road at halftime. Uh, was there a was there a, a lack of atmosphere in the stadium on Boxing Day, boys? I, I don't think so. I, th I think the supporters were fantastic. Right at the end, we're three 0 down. Um, Thirty percent of the crowd have left, and the Homesdale fanatics were still singing and making a lot of noise. So I think fair play to them for their support on on Boxing Day. And this stuff about, I've seen some video footage of people throwing the odd punch handbags. It's just ridiculous. You know, let's not waste our breath on talking about that kind of stuff. Absolutely right. I quite agree. Jim, did you, did you notice any difference in the atmosphere? 
I was there on Boxing Day, and I can't say that I did. It's just this is what the I'm only the only difference you would notice is that we're three 0 down, but the, the fans were still they went there in a jovial mood and left in a ugly jovial mood. It was no, nah, the fans were brilliant. They they make the same noise whether there's twenty five thousand or twenty thousand. So the five thousand that left early. The 20 that stayed would still make the same noise. They're still chanting and cheering, but, I mean, I can understand them leaving because it was a crap game. Plus, it was bank. It was like a boxing day. They wanted to get home, get a bit more turkey. <laughs> so we've got an op- another opportunity to make Sellers Park rock this Wednesday evening, ladies and gentlemen, at home to Spurs. Let's be that 12th player. Let's be that 12th man. Get right behind the team and support. Ian, off the top of your head, when's the next show? Do you know? Now, the next show is um, next Sunday. Okay. Um, I won't be on. Um, it's Mrs. Noble's birthday, so I'm I'm I'm, I'm not going to be on next week. But it's next Sunday, at 8 p.m. I believe, where we'll be looking back at the Spurs game and the Southampton game in the FA Cup. Um, just a word about the Southampton game. It's a 12:30 kickoff. It's not on television. Um, it's only 15 pound a ticket. Get yourself down there and support the boys on Saturday in the FA Cup as well. Um, I've heard there's very few tickets been sold so far. Um, could be a bit embarrassing. So um, let's try and get down there and support the club on Saturday in the FA Cup, as well as in the Premier League midweek against Tottenham. Yeah, thank you for that, mate. And uh, I quite agree with you. Gentlemen, uh, finish the show, please. Tim, you first on a positive note. Give me something positive to look forward to over the next couple of weeks. Tough fixtures. Uh, win against Spurs and a win against Southampton. Thank you, mate. And Jim, something positive from you to finish the show. Yeah, two wins. A win, a win on Wednesday night. And But I'll go back to your point about Harry Kane. I don't think he'll be too worried taking a penalty against us in front of that crowd. Something tells me it won't phase him at all. I think you're probably right, mate. And a final positive from you, Mr Nope. Well, let's hope Harry Kane doesn't get that opportunity because uh, I fear the worst if he does. Um, I think the positive from me is that the way we, we bounce back, that old Ian Dowie word, bounce back ability, um, in the Bournemouth game, you know, it, it would have been very easy to go down there and roll over again, but we played very, very well on the back of a really crap performance. So, for me, that's the main positive in this last week that we can turn it around. And hopefully, now there's an upward trajectory as we go into the next two games. Quite right. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Please like, subscribe, share, follow, do whatever you do on social media. Get the Red and Blue review out there. Boys, thank you for joining me as always. And I'll talk to you next Sunday. And ladies and gentlemen out of Facebook land, have a great first week of January. Please stay safe. See you at the Spurs game and the Southampton game. On behalf of myself, Nick, and the rest of the team, good night. Take care. God bless. Good night, everybody. Cheers, guys. Good night.